Creepy Pete and Chili Cheese J present. All right, so uh, this is just to um, prove to you that I'm not lying about this game that I found. Out. Okay, so there's a bit of weirdness. I should not have felt doubt. What the f Pet Scout, a lame ass gamers network investigation. That's a dead kid. This is just luck that I happen to find this. The video begins with something most gamers, especially of my generation, are familiar with. The startup intro that occurs on all games released on the original PlayStation. It, as of now, is the first and last time we'll see the startup utilized in Petscop. Next, we witness what appears to be some symbol zooming into the screen accompanied by an ominous tone only to be revealed as an uppercase G that then spells out Garolina, presented horizontally in dark blue with a darkish white background. We are led to presume that this is either the creative company behind the game, perhaps the publisher, maybe both. As the title screen reveals itself with the Petscop title teeter-tottering around a gift box, a cloudy setting scrolling to the right down a fenced-in road, a jaunty welcoming tune, and accompanied by a 1997 Garolina copyright text at the bottom of the screen. We are audibly introduced to our player of this mysterious PlayStation 1 game. Alright, so, uh, this is just to, um, prove to you that I'm not lying about this game that I found. I'm just gonna walk you through everything that I've seen so far. So what we have here is your usual Let's Play YouTube video of a game, the likes of which are beyond common on the platform. He starts a new save file and inputs the name we will now know him by. He will simply be known as Paul. So as we're ready to dive into this rabbit hole that is Petscop, I'll hand it over to Creepy Pete to be your navigator through these first three Petscop videos. We see a character sprite, Paul, no arms, yellow skin, wide open blank eyes, a red mouth that's similar to a bird's beak, dressed in a dark green shirt, brown pants, and oversized bare feet. Paul makes his way east down a road, the setting immersed in a hazy white fog as giant sign over the road comes into viewing letting him know that this is the gift plane. Paul stops at a pink sign as a question mark pops up and reads it. The gift plane has closed indefinitely, and all personnel have left. If you are unaware, the gift plane provided homes to over a hundred pets. Unfortunately, we have failed to remove all of the pets from their homes. 48 pets remain here, at the time of writing. We would strongly encourage you to visit our eight homes and find some friends to take with you. Every pet is uniquely valuable. You should have no problem finding somebody that you love. Signed, The Gift Plane Staff. Paul then explains that The Gift Plane is seemingly unfinished, but there is much more to experience. And uh, the first level is over here. I'm just gonna keep going a bit here so you can see that the game is apparently unfinished because there's nothing over here. 
I'm just gonna show you the, the one and only level. This actually is not the interesting part, but I'm just uh, gonna show you, I'm gonna walk you through all this so you can see that this is exactly what I described. Paul enters a building in this seemingly happy landscape known as Evencare. The walls pink and purple with a soothing blue carpet. He first sees a picture on a wall that gives him a prompt to take notice. It reads, It's a picture of two friends, Toneth and Randis. Are they not cute? Give them a chance. As Paul moves into the next room, he finds and collects random objects before coming across a door. Upon trying to open the door, he is met with the statement, This door is locked, or not, but you don't know how to open doors. Paul moves to the left and walks through an open door. In the next room, a sign states, When you're choosing a pet, find somebody that you like. You don't have to love them right away. Don't be discouraged if they run from you. They really do want a home. They're afraid. Show them that there's nothing to be afraid of. The next room contains the game's first pet, Amber, shaped like a ball with red eyes and wearing a green hat. Contained within a cage, a trophy sits in the center of the room, adorned with the inscription. Awarded to our Amber for being a real champ yesterday and today. She hasn't left her cage once. Paul pulls the lever to open the cage on the left side of the room, but as he approaches, Amber jumps into the cage on the right side. Paul opens the right cage as Amber escapes capture again. Paul learns that locking himself in the left cage tricks the pet into jumping back into the left side. Thus, Paul has captured his first pet. Paul proceeds into the next room, on the right, to find the next pet, Rona. Paul shows us that as he approaches the tall bird-like figure, it moves back, then levitates above to avoid capture. And so there's actually, there's another pet over here. I can't catch this one. I've tried. This is always what happens. So I don't know what's up with that one. Paul pauses the game and shows us the pets page containing those he has caught. Amber's description mysteriously reads, Amber is a young ball. She is afraid to leave home. If her home is good, this is not a problem. She is very heavy and that makes her life a little harder, as well as yours. What's the safest place you can put her in? You should start thinking about that. Paul backtracks, then heads south into a room with piano keys and clones of his game sprite. He explains how to solve the puzzle and captures a pet that sits on the keyboard. Pen, who has no legs, floats above the keys of the keyboard and holds a white orb in her right hand. Paul collects more objects that are strewn throughout the game and proceeds to the left into a room with a patch of grass, a bucket, and two pets. The red flower named Randis and Wavy, a rain cloud with two eyes and a mouth. Paul uses the bucket to block where Randis would pop up on the right patch of grass, leading Wavy to be captured in the bucket, and Randis wither from not being watered and captured as well. Paul explains how he's not captured all the pets he can, and he's got something to share with whoever he's creating this video for. Now I'm going to show you the part that's actually interesting. Alright, so I still can't catch this guy. The reason we're here is because in the note that came with this, uh, which is short, the first line in all capital letters, I'm going to read it, it says, I walked downstairs, and when I got to the bottom, instead of proceeding, 
I turned the right and became a shadow monster man. Below that, a date, uh, June 13th, 1997. For you, colon. Please go to my website on the sticker, and also go to Roneth's room, and press start, and press down, 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 right, start. So I happen to know that this is Roneth's room, because it works, so I go here. I'm just gonna do this now. Uh, so what is it? Down, 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 right, start. Alright, so you can see that it accepted it and the music stopped. I'm just gonna go out this way here. Paul proceeds to the right through the rooms of Evencare. As he exits the building, he's no longer in the haze of the gift plane, but in a dark, grassy area. The colorful building he had entered is now just a small brick structure with a gray door. Paul meanders aimlessly, hoping to find something eventually, when the video abruptly cuts mid-sentence. After a few seconds of a black screen, we are greeted with Paul Sprite, standing at a cellar door on the grassy plain, dimly lit, seemingly, by Paul himself. Petscop's first video ends in Paul engaging with whoever this video is meant for, asking the viewer to let him know if they saw something in the video he might have missed. Hey, so I was talking about how I couldn't find anything out here? Well, I just found this. Last time I came out here, I was walking around in this space here for over an hour, and this time I find this in uh, less than 15 minutes. So, this is just luck that I happen to find this. We begin the second mysterious set of Petscot footage with Paul facing away from us, staring off into the grassy, dark, endless void he has recently discovered. Immediately to his left sits his previously mentioned discovery as he has been exploring this part of the game. Paul stands completely still beside the cellar door for about 16 seconds when out of nowhere, a rewarding jingle echoes through the empty void and the door swings open. After this silence is broken and the new entrance is revealed, we quickly cut to black for about a second. When we return, Paul is now facing the left and standing in front of this wooden passage, seemingly leading underground. Paul seems excited and understandably a little nervous about the coincidences of his find, as he claims he wasn't in the room at the time the door opened. Hey, so, uh, the door opened on its own. I was just in the other room for a couple of minutes, and I came back and the door was open, and I checked the recording, because I was recording, and the door just opens on its own. I didn't do anything. So... I'll take it, right? So I'm gonna show you what's in here now. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, this could be interesting. He enters the cellar door, following a staircase leading down, and at the base of these stairs we are greeted by a few pieces. Paul collects these pieces and wanders through the room he has discovered. It is a mostly empty room, with a strange set of what looks like clocks on the right-hand wall. Following the same wall with these clocks, Paul also finds what looks to be a furnace, or some kind of shaking ventilation leading up to the surface. Strangely enough, when Paul first enters this area, the only thing above ground was the staircase leading to this structure. The vicinity around it appeared to be void of anything. Paul follows a doorway to the left, and as he's walking through this cold, dim corridor, we hear a phone ringing as Paul approaches the next room. Phone. 
Paul enters what looks to be some kind of office. Had it not been underneath this strange empty plane above, you wouldn't think much of it. We can see filing cabinets and a desk. A chair for someone to sit, and on the desk is a large black ringing phone, jumping off its hook, demanding Paul's attention. As Paul approaches and answers the phone, we see the following dialogue show up. Care has left the room. What is this? Mystified by the phone's cryptic message, turning to the right to view the memo board next to the wall. On it is a suspicious and shocking note showing three stages of a girl. A, B, N, L, M. Girl A seems normal. Girl B has some shaggy hair and appears to be distressed. Finally, the last girl has the same distressed hair with her hands over her face, clearly very upset and distraught. This girl has the letters NLM next to her. Paul looks at the note briefly before leaving the room as there is nothing left in there to explore. Paul finds himself in another meandering corridor with pictures on the wall at various points. First, he is greeted by a picture of a small green house, a structure we have yet to see, but based on the painting, it appears to be somewhere in the endless and empty overworld above. Paul continues exploring and finds two more paintings. The first is of what looks to be a large brick school building, and the second is a large windmill. Where are these structures? They appear to sit in the same dark and grassy plain we have seen above. Paul finds himself in another corridor. This time, we can see cars speeding through the center of the corridor at lightning speed. Where are they coming from? All we can see is a small opening in the wall halfway through. Paul doesn't seem to notice these cars at all, even with their very prominent sound as they zip through. When Paul is in the path of these cars, they don't seem to spawn. It's as if they don't exist. However, as he gets out of the path, another flies through the moment Paul is out of the way. Paul continues to move right in this corridor and through a doorway leading to a courtyard. Paul apologizes for not speaking too much and immediately after he approaches a gravestone. Sorry for not talking very much. I'm a little bewildered if you want to know the truth. This is a little more than I was expecting to see. This grave has big wide eyes on the front of it and the depiction of a present on top of it. The headstone reads, Michael Hammond, 1988 to 1995. Mike was a gift. That's a dead kid. Yep. Next to the grave, we can see what looks like a shed of some kind with a normal door entrance and a familiar cellar entrance with another pair of eyes and a small nose directly above it. Paul enters the doorway and is greeted by a gigantic, welcoming flower with white petals erupting from a hole in the ceiling below. As Paul picks the petals off, the flower appears to sink. Wait. Paul leaves three petals before leaving and walking down the cellar door. He is greeted this time to a platform with the girl we saw in the note in the office. This girl's sprite appears to be the same one labeled NLM. She is sitting atop this dirt platform, crying and shaking, alone in this empty shed and seemingly not knowledgeable of Paul's presence. Paul circles the room before leaving and going back to pluck the remaining petals. As he returns to the room below, the platform has been lowered and the NLM sprite is now red and shaking more violently, glitching and distorting. 
Paul approaches her, but his sprite just passes right through hers. Okay. As if there's a reason he can't interact with her. Yet. Uh, wait. I don't know. So when I first came down here, I thought I was just gonna see, like, one room. Uh, like something, but not this. Paul walks to the right of the shed and discovers a claustrophobic dirt hallway leading to another room hidden beyond the shed. In this room, we see trees displayed in pots, and between them, children's drawings of a strange hourglass shape in a bright ocean blue crayon color. A similarly shaped object is sitting in the center of an adjacent room. This one, though, is a salmon color, completely still and just seemingly on display. As Paul approaches, he is prompted to ask it a question. He types in, what? And the tool responds with, I don't know. The answer bobbing around, the text appearing to be drawn in crayon and in the same salmon color. Paul walks past this foreign entity and sees the plane above and the windmill depicted in the painting, turning as if we are looking through a window right at it. As Paul walks away, the entity in the same crayon text says, keep watching the windmill. Paul is stunned and confused, but returns to the view of the windmill. This time, an ominous low tone rings through the game. Oh. When nothing else happens, Paul moves on from this eerie encounter, while it now sounds as if he is talking specifically to someone. There's already been stuff that I could dig a little deeper into, and I'm going to do that uh, and keep you updated. Uh, but also, uh, when you come home next month, and uh, hopefully you're feeling a little more enthusiastic about that now, we can investigate this together, and maybe you'll find stuff that I can't find here. Paul then enters another room, this one unlike anything we have seen. It seems to be a bedroom, but on the floor, Quitter's Room is written backwards. The room is split in the middle with Quitter's Room written normally on the other side. Paul being on the mirrored side of this beyond mysterious room, we see another sprite, this one just like Paul, but with a poorly crayon drawn girl's face in black and white, mimicking all of Paul's movements like a mirror would. Suddenly, as Paul walks behind the bookcase, we hear a familiar jingle, and they fall out of sync for just a moment. Uh, what the fuck? Wait a second, what was that just now? Can I get that to happen again? Wait, uh... Hey, sir, I had to look at that for a moment. Uh, in the video. I was a little nervous. Uh, the tones, I think this is the same tones, uh, that you might have heard in the beginning. I'm gonna put in the beginning the part where the door opened. And also the way the guy on the other side was moving for a moment. I'm gonna ask for your comment later on that. So I was looking around here, so this is backwards. It says, uh, do you remember being born? Um, and this just says quitter's room. So interestingly, I'm on the uh, reverse side. 
here. Uh, yeah, okay, so... Moving on. Paul leaves this area and returns back to the void above, where he paces around the entrance for a little bit before stopping. Alright, so I'm gonna stop this now, actually. We start off episode 3 with Paul back in the underground cellar where he explains he forgot to explore a certain part. In this part, we see stone letters taking up the front wall, spelling good grief and alas, along with more pieces for Paul to collect. On the far right of this room, we see a small red brick building with a door and a drop-off window. The window rotates a door over and Paul understands he needs to put something there. He enters the door into this brick building and is met with a blank easel, and in front of him, another doorway just passed. However, this door appears to be sealed. Paul interacts with the easel and is given a choice of eyes to select, and as he makes his choices, he's given the next option of facial features, such as eyebrows and noses. He is confused and just enters in a random face, and upon completion, the sound of heavy stones grinding against each other plays and the whole room shakes while Paul leaves and resets the puzzle, thinking he made a mistake. This is just flat out a full game that I'm playing now. I don't think I was supposed to do that. Yeah. He constructs a new face and discovers he needs to wait. As the room shakes, the pathways are turning. He enters the newly opened doorway to a child's room. A somber hue of blue illuminates the room, and on the nightstand next to the bed is an eight ball from a pool table and a toy red truck. Above the stand, we can see a box with the face Paul created on the easel displayed. There appears to be a child sitting on the bed with his head mournfully down, and unable to interact. It's as if Paul isn't even in the room. Paul then goes back to retry the easel and enter a new face. This new face spawns a room shaded in a deep violet with smiling faces and strange shapes on the carpet. Once again, above the nightstand, we see the face Paul entered, but it appears to be another kid's room altogether. The nightstand in this room has a Pez container and a Rubik's Cube sitting on it, and it appears a girl is sitting on the bed. Paul then shows us a couple more rooms generated by the easel. The screen cuts back to the courtyard with the grave and shed, both of these displaying faces that look like they can be put on the easel. So anything uh, look familiar here? Yeah. Yeah, so... Probably we're supposed to try these out, put in these faces, and see uh, what we get. So, start with this one. When entering the face on the grave, the easel prompts, Mike is not here right now. He is dead. You may visit his room. As the building shakes and the familiar sound of heavy foundation is shifting, preparing the room for Paul. So this is the room, responding to the face on the grave stone. In Mike's room, we see we see the same salmon-colored hourglass object sitting on his nightstand. This one is much smaller and just laying down beside a pair of tweezers. The room, a calming dim brown with an empty bed on the left. 
Next, Paul enters the face on the shed onto the easel and it prompts him, Care is missing. You may visit her room. As Paul enters Care's room, it is There's a depressing gray color, also devoid of a child on the bed. On her nightstand, we see the same object in Mike's room as the entity who prompted Paul to ask it questions. Although instead of a pair of tweezers, we see a box of crayons resting beside it. Paul discovers a note next to the bed that reads, Your wife says, cares in growing eyebrows. You say, that's a puzzle. You're secretly very excited to hear this news. You're in the bathtub thinking about her. I have a guess at which child you'll pick next. When you find her room, the passage to my right will lead to her. She'll appear from the darkness limping, and I'll shoot her in the head. Tiara says young people can be psychologically damaged beyond rebirthing. A young person walks into your school building. They walk in with you. You're holding their hand. They come out crying into their hands because nobody will love them, not ever again. Nobody loves me. They wander, the new maker plane. The third Petscott video concludes as Paul begins to theorize his own growing skepticisms of what this video game he's found could possibly be. I'm not sure what to say about that, but I'm wondering now. Remember the note that came with this game? It said, for you. It was for you. And this note is referring to the player. It's saying you. And I was already thinking this, but it seems like... Uh, it's possible. This game was made, well, this part of the game was made for somebody to see. Or at least at some point, it was, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like there was, it was intended for somebody. Not me, certainly. Uh, okay. We're still not done, because we still have whatever's over here. Or not. Okay. So, okay. I'll just end this here then. <laughs> the fourth video of Petscop's YouTube channel begins with Paul standing in a doorway before he heads east, then north up some stairs leading back up through the cellar door. But this time, we're now viewing it from behind as he ascends back onto the sparse expanses of the new maker plane. He is again seemingly speaking to someone in particular to whom he made mention of a find he had made apparently while playing Petscop the day before. He ventures to the west briefly until a black object sitting on the grassy surface of the new maker plane comes into view. It's hard to tell exactly what this object is as our perspective only allows us to see it from behind, but it's something that points to the north. Paul proceeds to hypothesize the location of this object being in direct relation to one of his experiences in the second Pescop video. So I found this yesterday. So if you were to imagine what would be exactly below where I'm standing right now, uh, and I worked it out, it's roughly uh, the area where you have the big screen uh, with the windmill. And so I think, so this, this I think is a camera. And if I, uh, walk in this direction, 
This is uh, roughly where the uh, windmill would be. Why there isn't actually a windmill here, I don't know. Uh, it looks sort of like a placeholder for it. Okay, that's it. We begin the fifth episode of Petscop with Paul returning to the dimly lit underground corridor where we saw the strangely shaped salmon-colored object who told us to keep watching the window. Paul explains that he had spent some time asking this object some simple three-word questions. The familiar text box appears to us in its salmon color, prompting us to ask a question. Uh, Alright, so I spent a while with this, just asking as many questions as I could think of. Uh, mostly like short three-word things, uh, and uh, most of the questions that I asked just produced no answer, or uh, the default answer, the default answer which is, I don't know. Most of them just gave me that, except for four of them. Uh, and I'm going to go through each of those four now. After asking the question, who is Tiara, the object displays just as before in text appearing to be written in crayon and orbiting the object. The text reads, Pet Scop Kid, very smart. Paul then decides to ask it the next question in his queue that he found this object responds to. Uh, next one that I tried, I think. He asks the strange object, Who am I? The crayon text drops down from the ceiling below and continues to orbit the object, reading, Newmaker. Paul is Newmaker? Paul then proceeds to ask it, Where am I? The mysterious object responds with, Under the Newmaker plane, the first time we have seen a name for the strange overworld above. Immediately after answering this question, the object appears to glitch of some sort. It changes rapidly in color from its normal salmon-like color to a bright purple, almost illuminating the screen. Uh, I don't know why that just happened. I don't know why that just changed color out of nowhere. Now the text box is also a bright purple, and Paul asks it, Who are you? We await in anticipation, however, there is no answer from the object this time. Paul is clearly confused and is puzzled by this phenomenon. I think it broke. The object does finally respond after several moments go by and reads, Turn off PlayStation in floating purple crayon text. Or, uh... Okay. So that's not... That's not what it said before when I put in that question. Did not look anything like that. It's interesting. Paul, who is very confused at this point, tries asking the object, why? Seemingly concerned, but convinced the game is not broken, we wait again in anticipation. The object is not replying as fast as it once did. Finally, we can see an ominous message float across our screen that reads, Marvin picks up tool. Hurts me when PlayStation on. What the fuck? Uh, this fucking game. <laughs> this game. As he brings up the text box, the object switches back without warning as it had when it first changed. Um, well, uh, and it switched back again. I th think it just... Um, 
So if I if I put in what was it? If I put in who are you again, is that gonna Paul proceeds to ask the object, Who are you? again to see if it replies in the same response as last time. This time it does, and we see the name of this object is Tool. Yeah, so that's what it said originally when I put it in. Oh, well, okay, that's bizarre. Um, so I guess I'm gonna wait for that to happen again. Uh, but I guess I'm gonna end the video now, though. Uh... When Paul stops recording, the screen goes black for not even a second before returning to Paul's sprite standing with the tool again. This time, there is no audible sound coming from Paul's mic that would usually be picking up room noise. This time, just dead silence. Then, the text box appears again, only this time the cursor is moving very deliberately. Whoever is in control simply asks, Do you remember being born? The answer? I'm not Tiara. And the episode comes to an end. We begin episode 6 with the view of the windmill and the crashing booms it makes to seemingly grab the attention of Paul. The screen displays two hours, 39 minutes later. Paul has seemingly been watching this windmill for quite some time now. We see a shadow silhouette walking from the left of the screen. This shadowed figure appears to have an avatar just like Paul, but like in the quitter's room, the head appears to be different based on the shade. The figure walks into the windmill and we see the direction of the windmill is now rotating counterclockwise just as it entered. The shadowed figure leaves the windmill and appears to approach the lens we're looking through. He gets close, however he still is a silhouette. The shadowed figure then turns the camera around and our view now changes to the barren scape of the new maker plane. The figure walks in front of the camera and a strange screen appears, bright purple with what looks like a disc or some circle with a hole in it is displayed for a few moments. When we return, the figure is spawning in blocks, the ones a child would play with, each displaying a letter. One by one, the figure spells out, Where is my house? He then spawns in a few textures resembling his house. We see his house appears to be green. We have seen a greenhouse before, a picture of one, along with the windmill underground. As the figure is reorganizing the letters, he is clearly glitching the game. Random things spawn in and out, along with them, a pet spawns in. This one appearing to be a red bird with a broken leg. The figure spells out, Where is the school? Once again, spawning in a few textures to show what it looks like. It looks just like the brick building shown in the pictures we saw underground hanging. These pictures all appeared to be in the new maker plane, but we have yet to see them. The figure spells out, I will follow, before turning the camera back towards the windmill. The screen displays another strange time lapse, one hour, 24 minutes later. The windmill is now rotating in its normal clockwise position. The windmill dongs again, and we see that it just vanishes in a split second. 
The screen then cuts to Paul walking up to the new Maker plane. Paul is explaining he was not present during the recording, and hence explaining the time lapses. He also explains looking back on the footage he discovered the windmill changed directions, and it was this that prompted him to look further into his footage. Paul returns up to the new Maker plane and discovers the camera is now red. It is also at a shorter height, aligning with Paul's. Paul explains that he has seen this before, but never knew why, and now it kind of makes sense to him. He walks behind it and is surprised to discover the shadowed figure's blocks and the pet we have seen are still there. He proceeds to approach the pet and capture it. Paul opens up his pet menu and finds the new pet. His name is Toneth, who we first saw in a painting in Evencare, and in his description reads, Enter a description here. A bird. I think I forgot what birds look like. Funny stupid blob monster, says Mike. That's what it is. Painter. Painting puzzle. Catch Randis first? Has broken leg for some reason. I already hung him on a wall, too late to take him back. It makes me think about the dog, actually, because when the car hit him, I thought, at least it will be over soon. He survived it, and I was the only one who still wanted to put him down. When that dog wags its tail and it appears to be happy, it's not real. I guess that's Toneth then. Toneth, 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 Toneth. Toneth, Toneth, Toneth. The end. It's yucky outside. Paul is clearly very confused by the strange and glitchy description. While he continues to go back and forth in the menu screen of the game, he suddenly discovers a submenu in which the uncaptured pets appear to be the girl and her different features we've come to know as A, B, and NLM. This is, this is new to me. Yeah, so I, I tried going down here before, but I think actually that was before I even put in the code. So I just discovered this, just now. But you know what, I think actually this, I think I know what this is, this is our, uh... A, B, N, L, M. You know, you recognize the, the shape of this one. So I don't know what this is here, though. Discovering a lot of interesting things. Paul, clearly intrigued by the fact that since wandering the new Maker plane, even the captured pet portion of the menu screen now has more to offer, including the mysterious fourth entry on this newly discovered screen featuring the three care sprites. Petscop's pause screen also features a new dialogue in its upper right corner, almost cryptically stating, Have you found anything weird lately? There is much to find in this place. Paul does not acknowledge this text, but it's impossible not to ignore it as we see it. There is also a new menu option, titled Baby Names, in which Paul explains it is new and it does nothing when selected. He believes at one point you could name your pets. Paul then exits and approaches the plateau where the windmill once stood. The screen skips to Paul approaching Tool and asking another question. He asks, Where's my house? Tool ominously responds, You'll never go home. Interested and in seemingly making progress, he asks the figure's second question, Where's the school? Tool's familiar crayon text bounces around the screen reading, you can't go back in time. 
The screen abruptly cuts to Paul standing in front of Mike's grave and the shed we had explored before. This game is trying very hard to make it seem like like there's an entity in it. Like uh, a ghost or an AI trying to communicate with me. It's interesting, but you know, the way you know that there's a ghost in the game trying to communicate with you is if it comes out, if it stops being distant and it comes out and you can have a you know, a real time back and forth with it, and it stops being so one way. Like, I leave my PlayStation, and it comes out and uh, does this whole pre recorded thing. Cause it's very interesting, this game. Because uh, you can walk around, and something will just happen, you know? Because I created a new file, and uh, I tried to be scientific about it. I went, I went uh, and did all the same things that I did this time, and uh, the same things did not happen. Uh, none of the things happened. None of the oddities occurred. Like the thing in the mirror room, for example. So there's a bit of randomness in it, and it's interesting how it doesn't seem to really care if you see everything, I guess. Yeah, so it's interesting. As Petscop 7 begins, we find ourselves back in the quitter's room with Paul checking things out before we hear him seemingly shuffling through notes he's taken. Forty seconds into this, we suddenly hear music beginning to play. It startles Paul, and he tosses the notes aside and walks towards the middle of the mirrored room. Just seconds after the music stops, the sprite appears. Oh, hi there. Everything returns to normal, as the sprite on the other side mimics his movements once again. Before he leaves, he chucks the note on the wall next to the clock that stated, Do you remember being born? in reverse text. But now, it features an additional message. Seemingly edited onto the note in the strange neon pink writing the object in the room with the view of the windmill displayed. The new message is also written backwards, stating, Come here. The video cuts to Paul returning to the room the object resides in. As he approaches the object, it is pink once again and already displaying text. The closer he gets, the text eerily reads, I love you, new maker. Please show Marvin where his house is. Paul attempts to ask the pink object, Who are you? But its response is, Go there, and he'll follow you. His daughter is there. Paul then asks the question on the note in the quitter's room. Remember being born? The response is, Also wants 1,000 pieces for... Machine beyond school basement stairway. At this point, the object reverts back to its original color, 
and the video cuts to Paul going back to the child library. He attempts to put in one of the pets he has caught, but is prompted with a buzzing sound and a message saying, Child library only accepts people. It then cuts to him inputting a new face onto the easel. While in the room it creates, Paul explains to us what he is attempting. If you're wondering what I'm doing here, this is Mike's face, but without the eyebrows. Um, and why am I doing that? Well, because eyebrows seem to be important. And that's really it. Uh, nothing seems to have actually... It seems like it's just re one just regular room, right? Paul creates Kara's face with eyebrows. And the room generated in doing so, Paul freezes as we're shown something that is censored by a black box on the table this time. 20 seconds of silence. Paul's sprite facing the table. The video strangely zoomed in on this scene. It then jump cuts to Paul on the other side of the room, now explaining the face he used to get here, and acknowledges the censored object on the table. And every time he approaches the table, the video zooms in on the unknown object that is clearly bothering Paul. So this is Care with Eyebrows. I can't tell if it recognized it or not. Because everything looks like any other room. Except it puts this here. Except it puts this. I don't know, maybe that's just something that it puts in any room. The video ends with a black screen with text meant for us, the viewer, for the first time. Clearly not put here by Paul himself who up until this moment we thought was the one responsible for uploading these videos. The message states, We've had to cover something with a black box. Right now, we can't say why. Some other things we're expecting to censor in the future. A big present with a sticker on it. Something on a wall in a black house. And lastly, written on a chalkboard. The end of Petscop 7 leads us with a cornucopia of unanswered questions. We are greeted in the eighth installment of Petscop with Paul once again below the new maker plane. Pacing left and right while in the corridor with the strange cars flying past at lightning speed. But yet, only when he is out of the center path. Paul now seems to notice this odd occurrence and we can see him testing out this pattern. As we see cars rushing past, Paul steps in front of the entrance they emerge from. He stands in place for an agonizing 20 seconds while we see no cars come through at all. Paul then steps over to the side at 22 seconds in and immediately a vehicle zooms in and out of our view once again. Paul continues walking in front of the path for a few more moments, his presence seemingly preventing the vehicles from emerging. Suddenly, when Paul steps aside, it's not a car that enters from this entrance, but another character with a familiar silhouette. What? The character has a similar body to Paul's sprite, but we see his head is a darker uh, green. He what? appears to be of middle age. A mustache and thick black eyebrows lie underneath a sleek, bald head. This character then begins to circle Paul and leads him back to the corridors where the paintings of the house and the school hang. Paul is quite confused, but wanting to progress further, he follows the mysterious fellow. 
the character stops in front of the school painting. As Paul interacts with it and looks at it, the character begins to eagerly circle Paul, almost as if he's searching for it and trying to communicate that to Paul. This is Marvin, right? The character then repeats these actions in front of the painting of the greenhouse. That's when Paul realizes... This is Marvin. This is him. This is Marvin. Marvin then begins to run into a wall continuously, not going anywhere, and periodically running in circles as before. Possibly again trying to communicate something to Paul. Confused by Marvin's actions, Paul playfully says, I don't think you know what you are doing. I think you're confused, Marvin. I don't think you get what you're, uh, what you're doing. Before Marvin dashes upward into the new Maker plane. What? Excuse me? Shocked, Paul searches around a bit before going up the stairs and exiting himself. He went up. Will I find him if I go up? Paul rises up into the new Maker plane once again. However, he wanders for a few moments, but there is no Marvin in sight. I don't know. We then jump to Paul back in the underground corridor at the direct spot Marvin was running straight into the wall. We listen to some mysterious dialogue of Paul and the unknown person he is speaking to. Paul suddenly talking about a pathway that's no longer in that spot. Yeah, well the thing is it's not here now. There's not even a passageway or anything. Asking questions we don't get to hear the answers to. Can you remember when you saw this? Well, it could have changed between then and 2004. Talking about his mother having possession of the game at one point. After 2004, my mom had it reportedly. Then, the video cuts off in the middle of Paul thanking the person on the other end of the conversation. Clearly frustrated with the lack of usable information. <sighs> well, okay.